Father, you give us so many insights, so much wisdom from your word. I pray that it would be planted deep within our own souls, that it would take root and it would flourish. And we'd be not only confident that things will grow according to your will, but we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to flourish, that we would be those who are called yours because of the works that you do through us, because of the people that we touch, because of those that we invite to the kingdom, all the while recognizing it is you working in us and not we ourselves. We pray, Lord, that as we learn about um, your son Jesus and his temptation, that you would help us to live a life that is worthy of the calling. And we pray, Lord, that we would also recognize your grace for the times that we fail and how you minister to us in both our successes and failures. So, Lord, be with us, guide us, teach us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're finally to chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted. And we're going to look at Jesus tempted, the nature of temptation, and the effort against temptation. Now last week, if you recall, I pulled a little lure out of my pocket and I waved it in front of you. And all your eyes went with the lure. And you were tempted to look at it because it was just in front of you. And that's what sin is like. Sin comes along, it grabs our attention, and we want to follow it. But if we follow it all the way to the end, the book of James tells us that it leads to death. And so our task as disciples of Jesus Christ is to learn how to recognize temptation and combat it. Not just simply mess with it a little bit. Like, for instance, when you go fishing... You know, you take a lure or you take some bait and you stick it over the side of the boat or off the pier and you get a little nibble and what do you do with it? You shake it a little bit, right? And you want the fish to go for it because you're dangling it in front of the fish. And finally the fish goes, okay, you're mine. And he goes for it. And that's exactly what we do. It comes before us and it shakes a little bit once, twice, Three times and the fish is gone and we are gone if we give in to the temptation. So Jesus was tempted just like us. In every single way he was tempted by us. And I explained last week that there may be things for us that are not temptations at all. That we have no desire to get involved with them, to embrace them, to bring them to ourselves. But we simply can turn away from that temptation Not because we necessarily want to, but because it's the right thing to do. Jesus had to have a desire for these things in order to be tempted by them. He had to, in his being, in his humanity, wanting to be tempted and then choosing not to. If it's not a temptation for him, it wouldn't be anything that he would have to argue about. Forget it. I'm not interested. Get out of here. Goodbye. See you later. You lackey Satan, you know, and he would tell him just to kind of take a hike. So this is Jesus being tempted and being tempted three different times in three different areas that he would want to give into. Then Jesus, verse 1, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. I think I'd be hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. This is also recorded. In Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And it says in both of them, or in in Luke, it says that he was hungry. And again, he didn't eat for 40 days. In 40 days, he's just walking around. Now, he may have had some water, we don't know. But there's going to be just a a pressing hunger at that time. So Satan shows up, the tempter, in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, yesterday, Patty and I, we went up to La Mesa and we went to get some tea at a little shop up in La Mesa. And as soon as I got out of the car, I'm smelling these aromatic, 
fragrances from the two restaurants that are right next door. And I'm hungry, and I'm smelling them, and it's just so much more acute when you smell the food that's there. Now, have you ever been by a bakery when you are hungry, especially when they're baking bread? And you smell that bread, and you're thinking, oh, and right now, if you imagine it enough, you can actually get the sense of smelling bread in the oven, just coming out how... Oh, you would smell it there and maybe a little butter on it and that butter would melt on top and you'd put it into your mouth, especially if you're hungry. This is after 40 days. So imagine where Jesus is. Oh, just a little bit of bread. And then once you put it in your mouth when you're really hungry, what does it taste like? It's a flavor explosion where all the rest of the time it's just, oh, some bread. Where if you're hungry and you taste something, you know, to those who are hungry, even the Bitter tastes sweet, Scripture says. So he is, at this point, he's literally starving. The second one is, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now imagine how he would have been able to do something spectacular with all of these superhero movies that are coming out. Wouldn't you like to be Superman, Spider-Man, Thor? You know, they just fly around. They're invincible. The Hulk, you know, he's always angry, so you probably don't want to be like him. But the, the rest of them that are out there, they're just, they have these superpowers, and you go, that would be so cool. You know, just to fly up into the clouds and tool around up there, and it would be fun. Well, this is what Jesus is tempted with. Now, maybe that doesn't tempt you at all. I don't want to fly anywhere, be hit by a jet or a bird or whatever the case. I don't care. But it's this idea that Jesus had to be tempted to want to throw himself down and watch the angels come at the very last second, swoop him up, and just make him land softly. And then everybody would see it. There were probably thousands of people around the Temple Mount, that area, whether they could see Jesus or not, I don't know. But they would throw him down. All the people would see it. Well, whoa, look what you can do. Have you ever had somebody come and give you praises for what you've done? Where, wow, you're so fantastic. Look at what you can do. I've never seen somebody work so diligently and accomplish so much as you have. And what does that do for you? <laughs> I know. On the inside, it just feeds the flesh is what it does. And a man is tested by the praises he receives. And so if you're constantly lauded with praise, the flesh just wants to go, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm good. I know. I know on the inside. And so Jesus had to be tempted by this in his flesh, but he did not succumb to it. At all, because he is also God in human form and able to resist it in his deity. But it's a mystery how he can resist it in his humanity. But he is the perfect man, tempted in all ways, just like us. And there's the third one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Is there something that you would really like, some possession? You know, if you could walk out your back door, what is it you would want to walk out your back door? I have my own preferences. I'd like to have bleached white coral sand going in a turquoise blue water at the end with glorious colors of fish down below and there would be coral and big fish swimming by and it would just be a spectacular thundercloud over here that's pure white and a little gray and a little rain and palm trees swaying in the wind. That's what I want when I walk out my back door. What do I have right now? Highway 8. I look at Highway 8 and I go, hmm, it's wonderful. I love to be alive. It's all good out there. And some dirt. I have some dirt out there, and I have a wrought iron fence. And that's, that's my view. 
Now, if I could just wave a wand and just have it happen, and I got it, would I do it? If I could have a palatial estate that is just taken care of by itself, if I could have control of a country, like, for instance, our country, wouldn't you like to just grab control of it for a few minutes and just say, look, we got to change this. This is not right, and I'm going to do it. Wouldn't you like to do that? Well, these are temptations that are, for most people, normal. When you see something wrong, you want to change it. Well, what if you had the power to do it? And you see all the splendor of everything that is out there that you could do or be in control of. Wouldn't you like to just grab it for a little bit? Maybe for a long time? Well, Satan told Jesus, look at the splendor of all these kingdoms in the world. I'll give them all to you if you simply worship me. And he said, get away from me, Satan. And so... These three temptations are three areas that commonly plague us. You have the first one, which is the lust of the flesh. Your flesh wants to eat bread when you are starving. The second one, he was tempted by an ability or pride of life or look what I can do. I can throw myself down here and the angels will come down and they'll bear me up. And the third one here, tempted by what he saw in the kingdom's. And he could have had them, but he said no. But it's what he saw is what he wanted. And so this nature of temptation is what we're going to look at. These temptations were all an appeal to the flesh or the fleshly nature. And these temptations, each one of them, was countered with Scripture. So a definition of temptation, it's a desire to do something or want something, especially something that is wrong or unwise. Now that's like the Webster's definition of temptation. You're tempted to do something that you should not do, that you should not get involved in. Did you guys see on the news these people going through Costco? They had robbed a Costco in the morning. And in the afternoon, they decided to go pilfer from another Costco. And there was somebody on the inside following them with a walkie-talkie. And they were telling the police department, because they had somebody committing a robbery at that time, they recognized what they were doing. And so the police, they came to the emergency exit, which they figured they would be coming out of. And so this man and this woman, they had stolen total that day, if they would have gotten away with the second highest, a total of $2,200 of merchandise. And they were carrying it out these doors that were the fire doors that led to the parking lot. And there was a car out there waiting for them. So the police subdued the car, the passenger or the driver in that car. But then they just waited. And you could hear the conversation from the police video camera. They're looking at each other and they're going, okay, they're going to come out the door any second. Yeah, they're heading towards the door. Here they come. And as soon as they open the door, there's like four policemen standing right there. Gotcha. And the guy, you know, he starts to drop and walk back in. They go, oh, no, 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 no. And they grab the guy and they cuff him and they take him and the woman away. They were tempted to steal. They wanted to do something that was wrong and they did the wrong and they got caught and they paid the consequence. They were run off to jail. Now, we again, we have temptations that are similar to everyone else that is out there. And I'm sure, let, let me ask a question. Who in here has never been tempted to steal anything? Where's Nate? Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah. You stole that hat, didn't you? That's right. <laughs> uh, see, we all have been tempted to steal something. Now, let me ask a second question. Who in here has never sold anything, even a paperclip? See, we are so guilty. We are just guilty. We were tempted. It was that little lure. And we go, okay. And we grab it and we walk away with it, right? So that's the nature of temptation. Now, according to this book, Sacred Origins of Profound Things by Charles Panati, he records a Greek about a Greek monastic theologian named Avargrius of Pontus, and he drew up a list of eight offenses and wicked human passions in the fourth century. And perhaps you're familiar with them. Actually, I have seven of them here. Seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, and sloth. 
these are areas of temptation for us that we need to counteract. When we recognize that they are a temptation for us, we need to say no. And the way that we say no is not banter it back and forth like, do I or do I not? Should I? Should I take it? Should I not? Should I take it? Should I not? Should I have prideful thoughts? Should I not? Should I have prideful thoughts? Should I not? Kind of like the daisy, loves me, loves me not, that type of thing. Well, with each one of these, I want to give you examples of these seven deadly sins. For instance, if you're struggling with pride, and if you ask the Lord, if you have pride, he'll show you. He's faithful to minister to us in that way because he wants us to be completely vacated of our pride. And so if you're feeling that pride is welling up in you, all you have to do is go to a couple of Proverbs and a Psalm. Proverbs 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Psalms 10 verse 4 says, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. How about this one? Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I have remembered that ever since I heard Mike McIntosh talk about that. So when you got those prideful thoughts in you, you should say to yourself, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so you can take those and resist them because, you know, there's going to be different ways you're going to be tempted, but certainly this temptation is going to come to all of us. And also greed. You would think of Ephesians chapter 5 verses, or verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. It's where you want to keep this stuff for yourself. You want to commandeer it and say, you know, it's mine. I'm not going to share it with anybody, and I'm going to store. Remember the uh, Christmas carol with Ebenezer Scrooge? He wanted everything for himself, greed. And some people, on a scale of things, sometimes they think sexual immorality is not as great as greed, but sometimes greed is much more devastating to everyone around us, not only ourselves, if we get involved in it. And so we want to be generous with our income, with our resources, with those things that we have. Also, envy. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. What comes out of a man is not what makes him unclean, for from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So this is the desire of the flesh to be envious. And there needs to be a distinction made between envy and jealousy. Envy means you're discontented, longing for what somebody else has. You want it for yourself. It is the twin of covetousness. It's where you see it and you go, I want that. And I want that bad. I want a million dollars. No, I want, they're billionaires now. I want a billion dollars. A couple billion dollars. I want stuff that other people have. And so there's this idea of envy. But then there's jealousy. It, and it is an unpleasant suspicion of someone else. This jealousy. For instance, say your new neighbor, say you're a guy. And your new neighbor who is a woman, gets a brand new car that you've always liked. And you look at it, and you could envy that she has the car. But then she says, oh, yeah, I heard you say once that you like this kind of car. Would you like to drive it? And you go, sure, I'd love to drive it. So she gets in the car with you, and you go around the block. And then your wife is watching you pull back up in the driveway. And all of a sudden, she feels like, what? is he doing with that woman in that car? Not to mention it's probably not a good idea, but she's going to have jealousy in her heart like you should not be with my husband. She has this fearful expectation that something will be taken from her. Therefore, her anger, if she has it, her discontent, if she possesses that, will be directed towards the other woman. You will not go talk to that other woman. I don't care. If you do, we're going to have a little bit of words between each other, that type of thing. And that jealousy rises up on the inside. So it's usually directed at a person. But 
envy is usually directed at some material uh, advantage that somebody has or some positional advantage. Maybe they have more influence than someone else. And so envy is something that is not good. Neither is jealousy. But then there's anger. James 1.20 says, For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So we can get angry about many things. And I find myself on occasion getting angry. And I just, I just want to, I want to feed the anger. And I've done stupid things because I've been angry. And not that I'm a passionate guy. I really don't have any opinion on anything at all. I'm just kind of a milk toast kind of guy. But when that anger comes up, you know, it immediately transforms into something I shouldn't do. And then the Lord taps me on the shoulder and he says, ah, a man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so I can combat it like that, hopefully before I give into it. And then there's sexual lust. Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of purity. And so when we're tempted to go in that direction, we should say, no, I won't. Now, this is the pattern we're supposed to follow, follow, and I'm trying to give you examples, and there's going to be verses that you could use on your own that you can recall. Or another sexual lust uh, in the book of Job, it says, I will put no unclean thing before my eyes. You know, so you don't even uh, play with it back and forth. You know, should I, should I not, should I, should I not? And you just um, vacate that in your mind by using the scripture. Then there's gluttony or food. Uh, it, it is a temptation, especially in our United States here. They say 60 to 65% of the people are obese. Now, when it, it comes to that, if, you have, if you're a male about my height, if you have 25% BMI, um, the body index, the fat in your body, you're considered obese uh, if you're my height. And I'm right on the edge of being, quote-unquote, obese. And that's what the... the uh, moniker is that's what the standard is that is out there you can look it up yourself if you put in your um, gender uh, male or female you put that in there and then you put in your height and your weight and you look up a bmi index your body mass index it'll tell you if you're overweight if you're right on it'll let you all know all of that but in the united states i think we have a problem with that like for instance me going by that restaurant those two restaurants smelling that you know what i wanted to do I wanted to go to both of them. I wanted to get food out of each one of them, and I just wanted to consume. If you guys have been to the farmer's market up there on La Mesa Boulevard, oh, it's just like, ah, great food, you know? I, I just wanted to eat it all. But Scripture talks about that. It says, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1, When you sit to dine with a ruler, know well, or note well what is before you, and put a knife to your own throat if you are given to gluttony. If you go, you know, it's so easy. You go to, uh, like, uh, I've been to Barona, not gambling, but I've been up there to the buffet. Talk about a spread. I mean, you, what do I want? Do I want Asian cuisine? Do I want shrimp and seafood? Do I want Mexican food? Do I want some beef over here, mashed potatoes? Am I making you guys hungry yet? I mean, you, all of this food that is out there, I, you know, you, you'll um, get a little bit of each, and then you go back and get a little bit more of each, and you just keep on going through, and by the time you're done, you're going, oh, that was so good. It's time to take a nap. And by the way, that sleep thing, I'll get to that in a minute. But th- this idea of food and gluttony, We are to exercise self-control. And I'm telling you, speaking from experience, it is hard. I know it is hard to do that. All of these are difficult. Then there is sloth. Now, the Lord pointed out something in specific that a slothful man or woman will do. Proverbs, several places in Proverbs, it talks about this. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh, 12.27 says, a lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. Proverbs 26.15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Ecclesiastes 10.18, if a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. What a sloth. Pick it up and eat it and then go work on your house. 
you know, that if your house is falling apart, guess what scripture calls us? We're lazy. It's what it calls us. And I go, God, I don't want to paint the house. You need to paint the house so it doesn't fall apart, right? We need to be diligent about these types of things. And so sloth is something that we, we all want to take our leisure. We don't want to worry about things. If you see a neighbor's house, it's just falling apart. Things are falling off the house. The roof is leaking. You know, the paint's chipping off. What do you know about the man? Either he can't or he won't. There is a possibility he can't, that he's disabled, doesn't have the money. And so you want not to be quick to pass judgment. But for the most part, if you see the people walking around the house having a great time and the house is falling apart, know that there's slothfulness there. And they need the saving grace of God just like you did before you go ahead and make a judgment about them. So sloth, gluttony, sexual lust, envy, greed, pride, those are the seven deadly sins. Now, how are we tempted? We are tempted in three different ways. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of this world. So it just lays out the three areas that we are tempted. These are the three areas that I just told you Jesus was tempted in. It was the lust of the flesh. He wanted them to make the bread, the lust of the eyes, all the kingdoms of the world, and the pride of life. Throw yourself down and the angels will come and bear you up. We are tempted in the exact same ways. And we have to recognize that. If you're doing anything in these areas, Satan will come along. He's faithful to do so. And he will provide for you a temptation. But there's a couple other ways that that temptation will come. It deals with, first, it deals with the body appetites appealing to the eyes. And that feeds, that which feeds our pride is what's going to stumble us up. So like, for instance, the lust of the flesh, the body appetites. I just mentioned to you sleep. There are some people who like sleep. Proverbs talks about the person who loves sleep, that they will come to poverty. And so if you want to sleep 10, 12, 14 hours a day, pretty soon you're going to be poor. Unless you've got a wealth of income, but then you're going to be poor as far as reward for God's kingdom because you're probably not being the disciple he wants you to be. Just like me. I, I keep that in the forefront all the time. Do not love sleep. But I'm so tired. Get that under control. Get the bed at a decent hour. You know, like order your life. And it's hard to order your life. I don't want to do that. My flesh says, just sleep in. It's okay. Or Satan is there going, sleep, sleep. Hit that alarm again. Just shut it off. Sleep. You're too tired. That's one of the lusts of the flesh. Of course, the other ones I've already mentioned, the food, the sex, the anger, the drugs. When you're in pain, when I'm in pain, I want drugs. I will not kid you. Give me a drug, take away the pain, not for very long, just enough, just a few days, you know, just something to get over the hump. But then if I give into it, become addicted, even kill myself, what profit is there in that? So these all appeal to the body and it's based on how the body feels. Do you feel good? I feel good. You know, that type of thing. You, you go for something and it makes you feel good and you want some more of it. So you keep on doing it. Now, for instance, I like sports. Not all sports, but I like sports. And I've mentioned this before. My father was a sports fiend. I mean, he didn't participate in sports, but he loved to watch Every sport that was out there, I, I would come in from the other room or something, and he'd be watching bowling. Bowling, you know, because he bowled. And then he would watch golf, because he golfed. Golf. And then he would watch football, of course, football. And every single game he could possibly get, you know, football would be on, and then he'd watch basketball. And if he wasn't watching basketball, he'd find some sport on there, and he'd watch it. And I, you know, I, I had my own sports and everything. And he'd come to all of our events that we had with sports. And, and he just loved it. You know, he, that was his thing. But we can also, in our own lives, we be, can become addicted to sports. I mean, you just fill in the blank of what you could become addicted to. 
or athleticism or baking or what you fill in the blank you know each one of us has a propensity to one thing or two things that we like to do and we'll pull out all stops to do those things and then they can overtake us and it makes us feel good on the inside that's why we do it because we feel good now we want to feel good in doing things for the lord but we want to make sure we don't make that thing our idol And so whatever it is that's making the flesh feel good, God wants us to feel good on the inside, but in his way, with his capacity to enjoy it. Then there's the eyes and what they desire. Proverbs 17.24 says, A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I want to do that. I want that. And it's all because of what you see. You see that thing? I, I get a kick out of occasionally seeing um, the classic cars, how they restore them to perfection. And I just marvel at their ability to do that. And they look so good when they get done. There's a place I go by about once every week or every other week, and that's all they do up in Escondido is they work on these vintage cars. And they are so clear, you can look at them, or they're so shiny, you can look at them like a mirror. The paint jobs that are on there, and just the chrome, everything is just spectacular. And some people will lust after stuff like that. I'm going to do all I can to get that type of thing. Also, when it comes to the um, sexual immorality, I just mentioned Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And so these eyes can drag us into areas where we shouldn't be. Then thirdly, Our pride, what we can achieve or what we can accomplish. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16 says, Now listen, you who say, Tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will... We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. And so we want to talk about what we've done or what we accomplish or what we think we're going to do. And it's better to say, you know, if the Lord wills, hey, this will happen. That's a much more humble aspect or a view to your life that the Lord would approve of. So we don't want to boast of what we can do and what we can't do. Let me ask you this. Somebody who's 20 years old, can he do much more than a 70-year-old man? You betcha he can. But, you know, if the 70-year-old man says, well, I used to do this and you're nothing. Boy, I would do 50 push-ups with one finger, you know, and, and let me see you do that. That's all boasting and bragging. We can carry it into later life. And the young man said, I could do that. And if the kid's in the military, I'm going to have grace on him. You do that. You go take care of that effort, whatever it is. And, and that's what motivates the young man is his pride. You know, it's right there, but he needs to keep that pride in the perspective that God gives it to him. Like you have the ability as long as God gives you the ability. And you'll accomplish everything God wants you to as long as you're submitted to him. So it's the body appetites, the appetite of the eyes, and the appetite of the pride. And the temptation, that's what happens to us. On the inside, but the temptation will come to us from outside. It, it will come to us in one of three ways. And you should probably write this down. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and it talks about the flesh, the world, and Satan. It reads As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you, number one, followed the ways of this world. And number two, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, number three, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So not in that same order, but it's the flesh, it's the world, and Satan. Those three things will come at us from the outside, there will be some stimulus for us as far as the flesh is concerned that will come before us and will say, yes, I want that. That's the flesh, and it encompasses the pride of life and also the eyes. Then there's the world. I've given you these slogans before, these little jingles. You deserve a break today. 
Have it your way? You know, I did it my way? All of those things will come in from the world. You deserve it. We deserve nothing. We deserve judgment is what we deserve. But God, by his grace, gives us everything we have in abundance. It's great. But then there's Satan, and he's the little whisperer that comes along. He's the person whisperer. And he'll whisper in your ear, go ahead. It's not really in your ear. If that's happening, you know, we'll talk. But it's, I, it's in the mind. He works in the mind. And then this invariably brings up the question, can Satan read my thoughts? It doesn't matter. He knows what your propensities are. And by the way, just a little side note. I don't know if you saw this in the news. <laughs> this is bizarre. They did this study. It's not in the message here, so I'm just going to tell you about it. They, they, they did this study where they had a person stare at a picture. They took the picture. They looked at it. It registered in the mind. Then they put the picture down. Then they put electrodes on the, hair, on the head. And they started reading the brain waves of the person. And they told the person to think of what they just saw. And they started to construct on the computer screen, it was a rough outline of what they saw. I, I mean, the, the colors and the shapes, and it wasn't easily discernible. In about three or four of them, it was like, wow, that was the picture. Even though you couldn't pick out the detail, the ability that they had to see what was in the mind that they were just thinking about could have been put on another paper. Where's that going to end up? They're going to ask you, did you do this? No, I didn't. They slap that thing in your head. Try not to think about it. Then you start thinking about it, and all of a sudden, there it is. Oh, you didn't do it, huh? What's this, huh? Hey, Mickey, come on in here. Look at this. And they, they will say, you are as guilty as you can possibly be. And that's where it's going. Okay, I digress. Let's, let's go on here. So th- this flesh, the world, and Satan. And Satan doesn't just tempt us once. He knows our weaknesses. And so he's going to bring the same song and dance, whatever our particular um, desire is, he's going to bring it repeatedly. For instance, when it came to Jesus being tempted, it says he went away and looked for a more opportune time. So he, he, okay, how can I do this? And of course, he sends his henchman, the demon, to try to interfere with that. So he will, try, he will try to appeal to the different appetites of the flesh. Satan will tempt us into disobedience. And when we have overcome the temptation, as God did with Jesus here in verse 11, he is faithful to minister to us. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. God ministers to us when we overcome in a temptation in a way where we can be filled with joy and we can be filled with more perseverance and encouragement for other people who have gone through the same thing that we have and we have received encouragement from them. So just take that to heart. Now, when we fail, of course, there is God's grace. All we have to do is turn to him and say, Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry that I didn't pay attention to your promptings because that's the work of the Holy Spirit and he does prompt us to resist most of the time we just say no i'm going to do what i want to do remember romans 7 paul the things i don't want to do are the very things that i do and the very things i want to do those are not the things that i do and he goes on to lament who will deliver me from this body of death exclamation point and so even the apostle paul did exactly the opposite of what he wanted to do but god's grace was sufficient for him And so we just turn to God and humbly ask, God, will you forgive me? And he says, yes. And he remembers our sins no more. So with this application, the effort against temptation. How do we really put all this together? I'm going to give you three words. Subsistence, resistance, and existence. Subsistence, resistance, and existence. Okay, the subsistence. What do you subsist on? What sustains you as far as your spiritual walk goes? Is it 
Sunday morning? Is that what sustains you? Is it listening to tunes on K-Love or K-Bright or uh, KSDW and you listen to that or you get some religious station on your phone in another part of the country or around the world and you listen to that? What, what is it exactly that you do to sustain yourself, to feed yourself spiritually? And I really am serious about taking an inventory on this. If it's only Sunday morning, say you only ate once a week. You would be a prime example of being tempted by Satan, turn this bread into stone, wouldn't you? Where you would say, I'm so hungry, I'm just going to gorge myself. And then you'd be given to gluttony. But if you're eating once a week, and by the way, when you're all done with that and you've gorged yourself and the food's right here, you know, coming up your neck, how do you feel? I feel miserable. Or you, you just eat a bunch of sugar or something like that. How do you feel? it? I feel miserable. And so if you're coming in, well, I'm so spiritually fed, but after the end of the week comes and you haven't done anything, how do you feel? Miserable. I have failed left and right. I don't even know what scriptures to use to combat the flesh anymore. I have no idea. And so we may be involved in not feeding ourselves enough. And so this is the subsistence, what we are supposed to do. Hebrews talks about being immature and going on to maturity. And he admonishes those who simply don't know what they're supposed to believe. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and a faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. In other words, we're going to build ourselves up just as from a child we did so physically, growing up into maturity. We're supposed to do that spiritually. 1 Peter 2 2 says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you're not any more mature now than you were when you first got saved, you're not desiring the pure milk of the word. And God says, no, just like a newborn babe, desire the, the milk of the word. And then Jesus says, he is the bread that came down from heaven. And he did this on purpose. When you take communion, break the bread gave it to his disciples, he was saying that he is the bread of life, just like you take bread and you eat it. So if you feast on Jesus, metaphorically speaking, you will grow up in your salvation. But if you don't feed on Jesus, metaphorically speaking, you're not going to grow up, you're not going to arrive at a place of maturity. And there's several scriptures that do this. In Romans 12, uh, verse 2, it talks about renewing your mind by the word. And that should happen regularly, every day if you can swing it. You've got to set apart that time. Then there is resistance. You have the subsistence, then you have the resistance. First Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, I'm going to give an example here. When Eric and I, we were over in Cambodia... And we left a day later. And Pastor Hung and his son took us in this circuitous route through Cambodia. And it was at dusk. And we were, it turned into night. And so we're driving through Cambodia. And all of a sudden we get to this section that we're driving through. And Eric and I look at each other. We go, where are we? And you see all of these, and they call them karaoke bars. You go by these karaoke bars, and you're looking out front, and there could be four to 15 young girls sitting out front in all short dresses and heels, and they're made up in makeup, and they have neon lights everywhere, and there's boom, boom, boom coming out of the, the uh, karaoke places, and they want you to come in. And so we're looking at both. How long did it go for? A couple miles? A couple miles. We're driving down the road and we're looking. Wow. These are like everywhere. And there were hundreds of girls out there. And it is, uh, we talked to uh, Hen. And we said, uh, Hen, so what's going on here? What is this? And he goes, 
they do woman's work, is what he said, because it's broken English. In other words, it, uh, go have a good time. It's this place. It's, it's kind of like their prostitution place. And, and it is just flagrant, of course, nationally uh, and with their government. They say, no, we're against that. But they support it. And I'm sure there's graph going back to the government agencies. And it's just a lot of corruption. Now, imagine if you were going through there by yourself and you were a guy, a young guy. Don't even go. Don't, don't even go that way. It's just not good. Don't walk in the way of sinners is what Scripture tells us. And so we want to make sure that we are resisting by our actions, not doing things that we know we ought not to do. And if Satan is a roaring lion, you know, for instance, if we were driving by and we could see Satan, he'd be going, come on in, you know, something like that. <laughs> no, he, and he would be there to tempt us, you know, and we're just in the van. Okay, straight ahead, airport. You know, that's where we're going. We're going to the airport, but we're supposed to resist. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we are supposed to resist the things of the world. We're supposed to resist Satan. We're supposed to resist evil men. And you can read it on your own, but Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19 talks about not walking in the way of sinners. Don't be enticed by them to do that which is wrong. Don't wait for them to take somebody else's blood. Don't wait for them to uh, rob somebody. Put that all out of your mind and resist the devil. So there is a command also to put on the new self, which means get rid of the old self. The old self would have just said, why not? I only live once. The new self says, I will not because I will bring a reproach upon God. Uh, Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And let this mind in you, or be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. Then there's the existence. God told the Israelites to do this particular act or several acts. And he reminded them twice in the book of Deuteronomy. Now when you look at a Orthodox Jew, there was somebody who just died in New York and the, the streets were filled with the Orthodox Jews. If you saw the pictures, they had the black rim hats, they had the, the, not, the curls on the corners of their head, they had the tassels coming down and, and they were, had a procession, it must have been thousands and thousands of these Hasidic Jews going through New York and they were carrying the body of this really important person who had died. But they had reminders all around them. These hairs coming down, these curls, that's a reminder not to be like the pagans and their prayer shawl, the tassels that come off of that, that they're supposed to be people of prayer. They're supposed to remind themselves of that. Well, God spelled this out in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and also Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19, talking about the word of the Lord. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are upon your hearts. And here's the instruction. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. What is the intent of that passage? Whatever you're doing. The Lord should be in front of you, meditating on his word, listening to praise music, listening to Bible on cassette, reading Bible in the scripture, listening to some message which is out there, listening to some people give counsel. Just make your body consumed with finding out what the Lord's will is. There was a book that came out several years ago, Toxic Faith. You don't want to be too much into it. You know, listening to the Bible is good, but... Not too much, you know. Reading the Bible is good, but, you know, when you're saying it every third word or something, it's probably not good. And so this person counseled everybody, don't get too into your faith. Boulder dash, I hope I can say that. It, it's this idea that now you sell out totally. You just give yourself fully to it. It's like husband and wife. Are you supposed to give yourself fully to your spouse? Yes, you are. Do you give yourself fully to your children? Yes, you are. Do you give yourself fully to your sports? Most of the time, people do. 
Do you give yourself fully to whatever craft or whatever endeavor you want to undertake? Yes, you do. Do you give yourself fully to the Lord? Well, you know, you can't do that all the time. You ever have that book, Toxic Faith, and read that? No, God is supposed to be at the forefront. I would invite you to become addicted to God in his word, reading it, memorizing it, have the songs go through your head. I mean, just walk it in a way that it blesses God. Is your flesh going to like it? No, it is not going to like it. Your flesh is going to say, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. The more you can be addicted to God, the less or fewer problems you're going to have in this life. And so with all that, we know that we're supposed to, again, be, have an attitude of subsistence, resistance, and our existence, how we get along. And by the way, just as a side note, if you think that being addicted to God means treating your body harshly, it's not going to make you more spiritual. Jesus pointed this out in Colossians chapter 3, this idea of those who treat the body harshly because they think they're more holy because of it. You cannot perfect the body. You just can't. It all happens here in the mind. That's where the battle is raised, or or rages, I should say. Uh, In Colossians 2, verse 20, it says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. And so if you think you treat yourself bad that you'll be more spiritual, it's not true. I just want you guys to walk away with this idea. If you have the battle take place in your mind and you use scripture, you will be successful. If you walk according to the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Will any one of us in here be successful in that like Jesus was? Not on this side of eternity. That's where God's grace comes in. But just remember... Jesus used the word to combat temptation. If we don't have the word, we will be failures when it comes to temptation. Are we going to get it perfect? No. But God's grace covers over all iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' example of how to resist the enemy. And Father, we know you are so good that you forgive us freely and you pour your grace upon us without restraint when we humbly come before you and ask you to forgive us. Father, may our hearts sing the praises about your Son, Jesus, who is our God and Messiah. May this joyful noise be always emanating from our heart. May we praise you from the mountaintops in our bedrooms, in our places of work, and when we're driving down the road. Help us, Lord, to be more involved with what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.